Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 2, 13 through 23. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Good morning, Inglewood Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeanette Oak, and I am so blessed and honored to be here with you worshiping and preaching God's word on this Advent Sunday. Special thanks to Pastor James and Liz for the invitation. We go way back, back to our time when we were in in Princeton together, studying and living um, in community. And so there were really wonderful meals I remember we shared together and classes that I took with Pastor James. And I'm just grateful for this friendship and that we're reconnected in this way. So please pray with me. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen. When we think about the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, a real classic 
in the Christmas singing canon. We probably don't picture Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus fleeing Bethlehem at night as refugees. Earlier in this chapter, Matthew tells us that wise men or magi from the east have traveled to Judea to pay homage to this king of the Jews. These magi were likely priests of the Zoroastrian religion from Iran, who were renowned in the ancient world for their ability to observe and interpret the stars. These celestial observers wind up in Jerusalem, the capital city of the holy uh, of Judea, the capital and holy city of Judea, in response to a star, which they interpreted as meaning that to, 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 the, king, to the Jews, a king has been born. So word quickly gets to King Herod that foreign men of great distinction have come to pay homage to this king. But there's a problem. The Jews already have a king on the throne, and that's Herod. Now, Herod was a controversial figure, not loved by the Jews. In fact, he was a, considered a half-Jew, and he really lacked loyal bloodlines and legitimate placement on the throne. The Romans gave him the title king of the Jews anyway because they needed a strong and resolute leader who would help serve Roman interests in Judea and prevent Jewish unrest or rebellion. The last thing Herod, the king of the Jews, needed was for Yahweh, the God of the Jews, to deliver on his promises to establish the reign of the rightful king. Though that the one whom the prophets had prophesied about, the one who would come from the line of David and the line of Abraham, the long-awaited Messiah, Herod had no vested interest in the fulfillment of these promises, of this promise. So that's why Herod, along with all those in Jerusalem who want to keep their jobs and the positions of power, this is why they desire to thwart God's plans and kill this child Messiah. So our passage today uh, from Matthew 2, 13 through 23, uh, puts Jesus and his family on the run. They're fleeing the Middle East to North Africa to escape persecution. Jesus's life is at risk. For the second time, if you look back in earlier Matthew 1, 20, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, and this time as a warning to Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. There's nothing romantic or royal about this scene. The word Matthew uses for flee in the Greek means to move quickly from one place to another to escape danger. It's the same verb that the author of Acts uses to describe Moses' flight to the land of Midian, where he becomes a resident alien. And the word Matthew uses for destroy means just that, to put an end to, abolish. Jesus and his parents, you see, are refugees, forced to flee their country because of persecution and violence. Now today the term refugee, according to the International Rescue Committee, refers to men, women, and children fleeing war, persecution, and political upheaval who have crossed borders to seek safety in another country. So by today's standards, Jesus and his parents would still be considered refugees. Herod's attempt to dupe the Magi into returning to him to tell him the location of baby Messiah was thwarted because they too were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. Herod then, feeling anxious and secure and wounded in pride, raged with anger and ordered the slaughter of every baby, two boys and under in and around Bethlehem. That happens in 216. 
So this horrific murder of male children is known as a massacre of the innocents. There are real costs and consequences to unchecked power and sin, to corruption and to abuse of power. In this case, innocent children, estimates vary from around 300 to 1,000, lost their lives because Herod feared the fulfillment of God's word and will, and because he did not want a king to rival or usurp his own power. This mass killing of innocent lives is hard to explain. Scholars debate actually the historicity of events here. Yet if you know anything about Herod's reputation within our ancient sources, you see that this volatile leader was certainly capable of inflicting such senseless violence. Such senseless violence inflicted upon the innocents is not new or foreign to us. Our nation has witnessed the degradation and massacre of black lives. The names Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and others move onto a list that stretches back far into our history. This list includes names like Emmett Till and Addie Mae Collins, Carol Denise McNair, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, and Elijah McClain. My friend Issa McCauley reminds us that, quote, Black Americans have become adept at recounting this litany of suffering that began when the first chained Black bodies arrived on this continent 400 years ago, end quote. Why this senseless suffering? Matthew tells us, a voice was heard in Rama, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. In quoting from the prophet Jeremiah, Matthew isn't saying that Herod's mass infanticide somehow fulfilled God's plan. Rather, it reflects his understanding that this massacre is yet another tragic example of Israel's continued suffering as a nation. In other words, Matthew cites the words of Jeremiah as words of lament, not prediction. Matthew reminds us that God's promise to be Emmanuel, God with us through his son Jesus, is not thwarted. Notice that the Lord speaks in Matthew so far through dreams, a star, uh, scripture and prophetic fulfillment. The arrival of the dignified wise men from the east must have reminded Joseph of his earlier dream that, that, the, son, that the son Mary was carrying in her womb, the, 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 the promise that she was embodying was from the Holy Spirit. And this son would save his people from their sins and would be Emmanuel. I think the Magi's obedience, unbeknownst to them, helped Joseph obey the warning he received to flee Egypt with Mary and Jesus. Think about it. The fact that these foreign non-Jewish priests of an entirely different religion, people and land, followed a star to them where they were at in Bethlehem to pay homage to the baby in Mary's arms. The fact that they recognized that this child was the king of the Jews would, could have only come from divine revelation. And their gifts and adoration offered to the baby Jesus must have reminded the exhausted and overwhelmed Mary and Joseph that God was still orchestrating something far greater than they could have grasped or imagined. As I said before, in reference to Herod's heinous deeds, there are real costs and consequences to unchecked power and to sin. There is real consequences and costs to corruption and to the abuse of power. But as the Magi 
and Joseph and Mary demonstrate, there are real gains and consequences to our obedience to God's word and will in our lives. When Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt, Joseph heeds God's directives to get up, take, flee, and remain. The verse has the verbs to get up, take, flee, and remain. Imagine the incredible courage and obedience it must have taken to do this after having a baby and fleeing indefinitely to Egypt. Joseph doesn't have any proof that they are in real danger other than the Lord appearing to them in a dream and the Magi telling them that Herod was looking for this Jesus. So can you imagine how hard the directive to remain in Egypt must have been for Joseph and Mary to heed? However, also imagine that God's warning of imminent danger must have made this act of getting up, taking and fleeing and remaining almost a matter of impulse. When you know that you're in imminent danger, you don't wait wondering whether to get your loved ones out of harm's way. No, you take them, you leave that place of danger at whatever cost and go find sanctuary and safety, refuge. The distance from Bethlehem to Egypt is about 430 miles and the journey must have taken or would have taken about four to seven days. Now, migrants traveling the treacherous journey from Central America through Mexico traverse thousands of miles. Let me put this in perspective. To reach California from Mexico's southern border, migrants would have to travel 2,500 miles across West Mexico. This journey would take almost three months on foot based on 10 hours of walking each day. Now, I'm not here to talk about U.S.-Mexico border policies today, but what I think it is important to understand is that while there are many factors motivating Central American migrants to uproot their families and risk their lives, the most common reasons, according to World Vision, are food insecurity, political insecurity, violence, the lack of economic opportunity, and the combination of some or all. It's no coincidence that the three Central American nations from which the most migrants um, from which most migrants are traveling north are Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. These are among the world's top countries for homicides. The getting up and going part of obedience can be so difficult, but remaining is the other part of obedience, and it can be often the hardest part. As far as we know, Joseph and Mary have no family connections in Egypt. They receive no VIP status or further visits from Magi in this foreign land. And we learn from the text that an angel of the Lord doesn't appear to Joseph again until Herod dies. This means that there is a period of time between their fleeing and their remaining in which Joseph and Mary must cling to the promises of God and remain faithful to the directives of God. When was the last time God said something to you that you knew was clearly from the Lord? Rather than seek the next step from God, have you remained faithful to that thing God has asked you to do? Remaining in the place God has asked you to be is so hard when it's hard. This place can refer to a literal location or a job, a program of study, a marriage, a community. It's so hard when it's hard to remain, 
when others aren't meeting your expectations or when we ourselves are struggling or failing to honor our end of the deal or relationships. There's a famous expression, or maybe not so famous, from, the, from Billy Ocean that goes, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I think this means when the situation becomes difficult, the strong will work harder to meet the challenge. Another way to put this is when the going gets tough, the faithful remain. When the going gets tough and we want to get fleeing, perhaps the Lord is calling you to stay the course. We ask God for dreams and visions, but do we pray for God to give us the strength to remain faithful when these dreams come into sight and take us on a journey that is much steeper and windy than we thought it would be? At my church, I work with a lot of younger people, people who are seeking vocation, trying to discover who they are in God and what God is calling them to do and be. And in fact, these questions are lifelong. We ask God to give us a calling, a unique way to give back to the world and serve God's kingdom. But do we prepare to undergo the process of living into that calling that more often than not requires our dying? Dying to self, dying to our self-reliance, our self-righteousness, our self-centeredness, and our self-entitlement. And we, when we do not hear God speak to us for what feels like a long period of time, except through the scriptures, and through encouragements in the body of Christ, perhaps, which God's word is living and active, friends. But if we don't hear a reminder of what this voice is calling us to do and be, can we hold fast to the gospel truth that God is with us? God is with us. It's no accident that Jesus and his family end up in Egypt. Many Jews lived in Egypt, but Herod had no jurisdiction over there. Yet it wasn't only for practical reasons that Jesus takes refuge in Egypt. Matthew has God's redemptive historical purposes in mind. Like so many refugees, Mary and Joseph did not know they would be able to return home to Bethlehem. And when they did return to Bethlehem, they soon found out that it wasn't safe and went up north to Nazareth a very small, insignificant town in the region of Galilee. So in this sense, Jesus had been exiled twice at a young age, first to Egypt to escape Herod's murderous pursuit of him, and then to the boonies of Nazareth. How does the king of the Jews save Israel while finding refuge in Egypt? And how is this Jesus, the son of David, supposed to reign as king while living in the back country, so to speak? Bethlehem is the city of David and, of Jer and Jerusalem is where you find the temple and the center of re Jewish religious and political life. But Nazareth is hardly the place where the action is at. And yet God's salvific plan for Israel through Israel's Messiah and the world will not be thwarted despite conditions and contexts such as these. A way God redeems is by taking a place or a situation of bondage and brokenness and by making it a whole new thing. 
It becomes a place or situation of liberation and wholeness. Egypt is a very place out of which God liberated Israel from years of slavery under Pharaoh. But now Jesus the Messiah finds refuge in Egypt, the former place of Israel's oppression. Jesus is the very one who will liberate Israel from not only subjugation to oppression and to a political power, but from the power of sin. Let me say that again. Jesus is the very one who will liberate Israel from not only the subjugation to oppressive political power, but from the power of sin. God crossed borders, you see, to be Emmanuel, God with us. Which borders? He crossed the border between heaven and earth, human and divine, Israel and Egypt, by becoming a refugee in exile through Jesus. God remains present with his people, even in the, in, in the dangerous, inhospitable world. And God is the one in whom we make our home. God crossed borders to be God with us. And he does this by becoming a refugee in exile through Jesus. It's in God that we find our home in the spite in the midst of dangerous and inhospitable circumstances. So during Advent, we remember how God left the comfort and splendor of his heavenly home to be among us so that we can make our home in him and he in us. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. How many of you in this pandemic feel so weak and vulnerable, even fearful? We have a God who can sympathize with our weakness and our vulnerability. Jesus knows what it's like to be a refugee and to have to flee for his life. Jesus knows what it's like to be in exile and wait indefinitely to return home. He knows what it's like to cross borders and the grief that continues to travel even when we come back. There's a whole lot of suffering in this world. And I know many of you are suffering and have loved ones who are suffering and who have died in this pandemic. This sisters and brothers is part of the human condition. And it's why we say, come, O come Emmanuel. But what Advent also reminds us is that our Father who is in heaven came to us in the form of Jesus to take on and endure this condition. Because of God's love for his children, he came to us as a human and also suffered with us as a human. God so loved the world that he crossed the border of heaven to come to earth by becoming, as John tells us, the word made flesh. There's so much to do, is there not? For us or for those who are able to keep a safe social distance, to be safe and sound, or to have the ability to find refuge and rest without great fear of harm, hunger, or rampant conditions of corruption and abuse of power. We need to continue to pray for and press into the work of providing relief, revival, reform, and rest in our communities for the sake of the world. God crossed borders to be Emmanuel, God with us. 
the border between heaven and earth, human and divine, Israel and Egypt, by becoming a refugee in exile through Jesus. And it's in Jesus, our Savior who crossed borders, that we find refuge and rest. And it's because Jesus is our Savior who crossed borders that we become people in exile who see ourselves in solidarity with those in need of refuge and rest. It's in Jesus's name that we offer refuge and rest to those in need. It's in Jesus that we find our refuge and rest. I'll end with a quote from Russell Jung, a friend and scholar I so admire, because he's devoted his life and work and resources to embodying justice in his two decades of helping refugees resettle in Oakland, California. He says, I've always wanted to be special and unique in this world. What I've learned from my family and gained from my refugee neighbors is a more precious gift. I've come to realize both now and in the future, each of us is honored as a guest of the King. Even despite our temporary sufferings in the midst of this fallen world and in light of our shame, God knows our yearnings. And given his loyal love and overwhelming peace, all of us refugees, foreigners, aliens, and strangers can learn to be at home in exile. The people who feel so alien and foreign to us are our brothers and sisters. All of God's people are in exile until Christ returns. And it is as sisters and brothers we pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, the mourns that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen.